Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors, and thank you for being with us again today. I'm your host, Dr. Alan. I'm looking forward to delving into the question of how to complement investments in stocks and bonds with various alternative assets. Dennis Shapiro began investing in real estate in 2012. Since then, he has built a cash-flowing portfolio, including many alternative assets, such as notes and ATM funds, mobile home parks, life insurance policies, tech startups, industrial properties, and short-term rentals, and more. Dennis has been a busy man since 2012. So Dennis, share a memorable experience from your formative years that helped you to be who you are today. I think my most memorable is when I started working for the government. I was I got recruited at right during my MBA years. And the first paycheck I got, I realized that the government was not only my employer, they're, they're also my business partner because the amount of taxes they were taking out. <laughs> So I think I remember going home that day after getting the first paycheck and was like, you know, how do I pay less taxes? I got a whole bunch of semi-legal responses. And then I went back and actually said legally. And the first 10, 12 responses were all real estate. And that kind of set me off on my track, you know, 10 years later, where it's not only just real estate, it's other alternative investments. But that was, a, I think that was a huge turning point moment in my life. Well, interesting trajectory there. I'm taking from that that you didn't grow up in a finance family or in a family who had interests in real estate or other investments. So you are self-taught. Is that correct? It's somewhat. I I do come from an immigrant background, so it's Mm -hmm. definitely not like second generation investors. But my oldest brother was an investor. He's about eight years older than me. He gave me a copy of Rich Dad, Poor Dad when I was very young. And we have different investment philosophies, but he did teach me the importance, I would say, between him and my early, I guess, just where the knowledge rabbit hole went into. I, those are kind of two instrumental you know, people and movements that shaped my, uh, shaped my career. Well, unlike a lot of the investors that are on my program here, uh, you do say that traditional and alternative investments are a critical aspect of a portfolio. So explain to us why you've come to that philosophy and why that's working for you. Sure. So I started trading in stocks when I was 14 years old. After my brother gave me a copy of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I was convinced that I was like, how I, I need to buy an asset. And when you only have $1,000, you kind of go towards where it's easier to put that asset in. You know, Obviously, CDs, bonds, none of those really give you those kind of returns, potential returns. So with a limited amount of capital... The next place that usually people go to, even back those days before Robinhood and those apps, were you know the stock market. So I started when I was fourteen. I have you know about twenty years of experience with traditional. My my traditional philosophies has changed and morphed over and over again. But my portfolio has grown considerably. And what I realized that is if I if I could autopilot my traditional stocks into you know low cost low cost index funds, I could spend the rest of my time and energy in creating my alternative investment, my private securities, where my time and energy will be rewarded by meeting operators and by networking and 
like uh, improving my underwriting skills and all these due diligence aspects that in, are involved in private securities. So what I realized that if I autopilot, I will still get pretty decent returns on the traditional side and not spend too much time. And then on the flip side, and by the way, the traditional also gives my portfolio some kind of liquidity, which the private side basically doesn't have. And then on the flip side, if I spend all my time and energy, I could magnify my results because my time and energy is being rewarded. It also gets me higher cash flow because I always had a problem with my traditional side actually creating that income that I was looking for. You know, a typical index fund pays you one to two percent. A high yield index fund will pay you something like four percent. Uh, so there's not really, and all these strategies that were always proposed to me, like REITs and MLPs and utilities, they never worked for me. You know, during my course of 20 years, it was more like one failed strategy after another. But what I realized that if I stop trying to change what the traditional side of my portfolio is good at and just focus on autopilot traditional appreciation and not care for the uh, income. I could then focus the alternative side to complement that completely where I don't have any liquidity, but I also get the higher yield and I also get the stability and less volatility. And that's kind of the way I've come to the conclusion. I always looked at them versus, but when I started looking as the two, as traditional alternative as an end situation, that's when my portfolio kind of started taking off. Well, that makes perfect sense there. And I have had other investors who have been in traditional markets and have done very, very well. But they, like you, began to discover that as even though it is billed as passive, if you really want to do really well in stocks and bonds, it has to become a full-time job. And they, like you, discovered that there are other avenues to doing that that pay much better returns on investment. Well, you came to real estate markets in kind of an unusual way, probably not necessarily unusual for your generation, but for my generation, certainly. And that is through LinkedIn. And I still, to this day, would not see LinkedIn as a way to begin to understand the language of real estate. So how are you doing that? Just to clarify, I didn't start with real estate in LinkedIn. I just used LinkedIn to build my alternative investment kind of knowledge. I did start the more traditional way. I bought a single family property actually from my oldest brother. I kind of came to him when I had that Google search on how to buy real estate. I did the one thing you shouldn't. I contacted my oldest brother and was like, are you looking to sell anything? And he's like, yeah, sure. I'll sell this. one." <laughs> and it was just a really, really bad experience. But that experience taught me that I want to go more passive and I didn't want to be a landlord of many different single family rentals, especially in low income areas. So I would say that's the first part is that I did do it more of the traditional boots on the ground. You know, I had the I went through the evictions, I went through the renovations, I went through dealing with public housing, all of that stuff I went through. But when I realized that I needed to go more passive, that's when I really started using LinkedIn. And the way I did that was I actually just changed under my profile instead of you know, my nine to five actually just changed investor. And what ended up happening is I started getting like bombarded with like 15 minute calls, 30 minute calls. And I started getting on those calls and those calls were just really for one purpose. They didn't really provide me too much, you know, value in terms of like, oh, these are great network people that I've stayed in touch with. Instead, what it allowed me to do is I would have a conversation with a broker or an insurance broker or an equity placement person. And 
while I'm talking to them, I'm realizing which terms I'm not familiar with. And once I realized that, I would end the call, you know, thank them for the time, but then I would go look up those terms. What's a cap rate? What's an NOI? Uh, what's a value add? What's, what's a performer? All these basic terms. Because what ends up happening is what I realized is when you go to networking events, if you don't have that terminology down, you're going to be talking to other people and you're going to be coming off as that you're asking for help versus you're trying to connect with peers. And there's that huge separation between the two. And the difference is... One is knowing the language that an investor would use and then not knowing the language and kind of saying, oh, you know, I'm here to learn. And a lot of people, especially people who are still growing themselves, are not really looking to coach. But if they hear terms that they're using and they're saying, well, you've invested passively in you know, a few different syndications, well, I have two or I'm looking at one. Now it's a completely different conversation and the potential to network is that much greater. Absolutely. And I had never thought of going to LinkedIn to actually learn vocabulary, but I can see how that was working well for you. But language and vocabulary are so, so, so important. They can open doors or close doors. Well, it is important to have a network, as all investors tell me. You uh, started your network from zero. And how did you do that? Yeah. So a lot of it was LinkedIn. And then the second part of that was to start going to conferences. And it, it wasn't just going to conferences. It was going to very specific conferences. Like I, I had no interest in flipping homes or wholesaling, more of the traditional stuff that you might hear on bigger pockets. I wanted to get into syndications. I wanted to get into larger multifamily. So the way you do that is by going to conferences where the speakers are all multifamily operators. And that's kind of how I did it. I, I went to a local, I did the Mid-Atlantic Conference because I'm on the Northeast. I met five or six really high-level people that, you know, I it was definitely quality versus quantity. I didn't have Rolodex of 100 people after I met that, after that conference. But one of them became my partner. We were, we're actually just closing on a deal now, three years later. Another one of the people I met at that conference is an investor in that deal that we're closing. And it's just constant communication. So the trick is, you go to the conferences of what you're looking to do, and it doesn't have to be multifamily. If you're looking to invest in notes, you know other stuff that's passive, just go to those conferences that will feature operators in that space. You know, It's a great chance for you to actually talk to that operator, but more importantly, it actually lets you talk to other investors and you need to build that investor base. Because in the traditional side, if you want to invest in stock, you could search for two seconds and you'll get a hundred different opinions on Apple or Amazon, whatever it is. And then you can read the opinions and make your opinion. And then that's it. You're trading. In the private security world, you're not going to get 100 feedbacks on a particular syndicator. The way you, you get that, you, know, you, you do that due diligence and you do that homework is by your network. And you'd call them up and say, hey, I'm looking to invest in syndication A by this operator in this town. What do you think? And then that person hopefully will say, oh, yeah, you know what? I've done a deal in that town. Or, hey, you know what? There's too many one-bedroom... One uh, units in that complex, I would stay away. Or, hey, I don't know anybody, but let me at check with my network. And all of a sudden, you're harnessing the power of their network. And then it becomes like a six degrees situation where in maybe six to nine months, you'll get any homework, uh, any, you'll be able to perform due diligence on any deal that you come across because it's a very small market once you start learning the names of the people and start building out those relationships. And, you know, it comes across really, really quick. We'll be right back after a brief announcement. 
Are you a busy professional passionate about the work of your calling yet realize that even though you love what you are doing, you're exchanging your time for money? You know that if you were to lose the ability to exchange time for money, your financial well-being will be in jeopardy. If you can relate, I have great news. Steve Talker Capital is an investment company designed for professionals to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Remove the anxiety of an uncertain financial future and go to steedtalker.com. Get your free one-page 10-step guide to investing. Yeah. Interesting. You know, side-by-side connections are just as important as internet connections are perhaps even more so important. And Oftentimes they're just serendipitous and they, and you never know who you're going to meet at these places and where those relationships are going to go. Uh, you intentionally went to a conference, but you didn't know who was going to be there. And you certainly didn't know in advance that a person that you met at that conference was going to be your partner three years later. Oft, uh, I just hear those, <laughs> those stories time and time again. It's just really fascinating. Well, how can multi-asset income funds Uh, How can they help investors achieve their income goals? So that's a great question. So I came from a background of having those difficulties of creating income through the traditional side. And I'm talking about, I went through every single strategy that I named before on the podcast. And what I ended up realizing was I'd get a couple of years of out, I'd get a couple of years of really good yield. And then one small downturn or COVID happens or whatever it is. And all that yield that I was outperforming the regular index fund would go out the window. And then what I realized is during that time period, my portfolio actually always underperformed just a basic index fund. So I was expecting my portfolio to do better during a downturn. And that's why I was okay with the underperformance. But once I started seeing that, hey, in the way that the algorithms work these days is it doesn't matter if you're a high yield stock or whatever it is, that used to protect you on downturns, but that doesn't do that anymore. It's all traded you know, together. So what that I realized was there's got to be a better solution. And that better solution is basically if you want to you know, trade for income, you need to invest in funds or deals specifically that are geared to that. And they have to, be, they have to consist of private securities that, that won't fluctuate in value that much. So a great example of that is during March 2020, I had some part of my portfolio I, ha- I still had in REITs. And that was down 34%, like the rest of the market. Now, you know, in theory, REITs own commercial real estate. On the other side of my thing, um, portfolio, I had a good chunk of my assets in private securities and again, commercial real estate. And what ended up happening is the REITs were down 34% in one month, just like the S&P 500 was. What happened with my private side? Nothing. Nothing traded hands. There was like a six-month period where if you were in the space of you know, syndications, you knew that there were no active deals. Like from March to September, I think like August, September, and at the end of August, September, I think I started seeing the first trickle of deals. And why is that? Because there was a huge disconnect between pricing because the, all of a sudden the sellers thought, oh, wow, the market has finally turned. We could finally get some great deals. You know, we're going to start putting global offers in, blah, blah, blah. And then the sellers were looking around and they were saying, well, things aren't that bad yet. There's talks of all the stimulus money. We're just going to you know, wait it out and see what's going on. And that you know, 15% disconnect, I would say, caused zero trading. So yes, I had a couple of operators suspend the distributions, but it was mostly a quarter, maybe two quarters. And then they restarted them. They're like, well, we have clarity now. 
So mm-hmm. I think that's just the perfect analogy where on one side, it was almost like, you know, the world is ending, you know, and then on the other side of my portfolio, it was cool, calm, collective. And it was like, let's see what's going on. We are going to take action today. We're going to stop the distributions. But the underlining asset is not worth 35% less than what we paid for it six months ago or two years ago, whatever the case is. So I think when I saw that, I realized that if I created a fund that specifically only had these private securities, I could create that income, that higher income that I was looking for from the traditional side. So my company, SIH Capital Group, we launched an income fund. We just focus on private securities. It's not traditional. We're not saying traditional is bad, but we're saying to, to achieve the goals that we set out, we needed to be 100% in private securities. And then on top of that, we didn't want to just be in apartment buildings because we wanted to pay a high yield from day one because it's hard to classify something as an income fund if you're only paying them 3 4% in year one. So the way we did it is we, we do what's called a multi-asset income fund. And what that means is that we'll have apartment buildings there, we'll have syndications, but we also invest in mobile home parks and self-storages and notes and ATM funds. And the combination of all of that creates that higher yield from day one, and it all consists of private securities. Well, just in a nutshell, explain to us, what is an income fund? How does that really different just from a, a simple syndication? It's kind of like the question then becomes, what's the difference between a fund and a single deal? So a single deal is literally you're investing in one property versus a fund, there could be hundreds of properties in our fund. Like right now, I think we just passed 180 property mark. Between the different operators, we're, we're not invested with 180 operators, but we are invested with a few highly vetted, carefully selected operators, and they themselves also have larger portfolios, and we get access to all of that. So our main goal is to pay consistent income and for capital preservation. And we were able to achieve that because we have such a wide range of properties and assets producing that income. So if five of those properties are not paying, we still have the other 175 that are still paying it. So at the end of the day, that's the biggest difference because if you invest in just a syndication, if that specific asset starts, you know, treading water or start having a tough time, those distributions could stop. And if the point of your, if your main objective when you invested was for income, now you're going to be in a tough position. So these income funds, they are traded privately. They're not publicly traded entities. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's basically like any other fund, but the main focus is to create income. There is actually zero appreciation to it. So it's all about the income and creating the highest possible income from day one, but making that consistent, steady, and monthly. And unlike a stock income index, it is based upon a real product. It isn't just a paper product. Is that correct? Correct. There is collateral. Well, it's our fund directly invests in other deals. So there is some kind of uh, semi-argument because we're investing in other LLCs and we're not the title holders. So it is hard to say that that's not like 100% technically true, but it is the underlining asset that's backing that income distribution is a hard asset. And the yield is not going to fluctuate based on what the stock price is doing from day to day. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for that explanation. There are some misconceptions in terms of investing in real estate syndication. 
And you tell me that there are two that are the most common. What do you say those are? So the first one is there's this concept of, of passive versus active. And I feel like it's always fighting each other between passive and active. Some people want to be active. Some people don't want to be active. Some people want to be passive. And operators are very quick to label all their deals as 100% passive. And it is true. Once the money is sent and wired, it is 100% passive. Usually the operating agreements are written in such a way where there really is nothing the partner can do about it. But up until the point that that money is wired, I consider it a very active activity. That is when you should be going to your network. That is when you should be doing homework on the operator. Now, a lot of that could be just a one-time thing because if you invest with the same operator multiple times, that homework is already done. And then it is kind of truly rinse and repeat. But if you're investing with an operator for the first time, you cannot be blinded by high numbers. You need to do your homework. You need to reach out to your, your network. You need to find out if anybody else has invested with this operator. You need to look at that track record. You need to ask some tougher questions. You need to be able to do some basic underwriting where you can look at the projections and say, wait, this number looks fishy and be able to actually ask them a question. You wouldn't believe how many times when I was just a limited partner and I wasn't a fund operator where I would reach out which w- with what I thought was extremely appropriate questions and the operator just stopped responding. And the reason why is because they would rather have investors that look at the investor deck, say, oh, I like 20, 30% returns. And when do I need to wire? And yes, operators do prefer that. But as a limited partner, if you're the person just wiring because you see that high level returns, you're basically just gambling. So you need to be able to look at the pitch deck. You need to come up with questions. You need to ask you know, basic security question like return on capital versus return off capital. Is your preferred return accrue or is it on an annual basis? Those are all things that on the investor pitch deck, that might not be 100% apparent. We're doing a deal right now and we're getting those questions and there's nothing wrong with that. And I appreciate them because that means my investor is going in with, into the deal with a better understanding of what he's going to be actually getting. Yeah, good insights and good questions. And certainly people who are going into private investments for the first time, particularly as a passive investor, they really do need to be asking questions. It would be nice if there were no shysters out there, but there are plenty of shysters out there, and we need to be leery of those. Well, tell our viewers and listeners, Dennis, how to get in touch with you and what do you have to offer? Sure. So first, I just want to mention, I did publish a book this year on alternative investments. If any of the investments that I kind of mentioned, like apartment buildings, mobile home parks, self-storages, if any of those seem interesting, interested to your viewers, you can pick up a copy of my book on Amazon, The Alternative Investment Almanac, Expert Insights on Building Personal Wealth in Non-Traditional Ways by Dennis Shapiro. And Dennis is spelled with one N. And that's the first place to reach out to me. The second place is if you go on sihcapitalgroup.com, if you go on my site, I have two abridged versions of my my book. You could download them, join my email list, and if you have any questions, you know, feel free to reach out. But we get really good reviews because they're pretty hefty abridged versions of the book. Uh, so I'll give you a good understanding if you would, you want to pick up the full book or not. But yeah, sihcapitalgroup.com. Well, excellent. Some very good things for our viewers and listeners to go in and pick up at no cost, and then also get the the hardcover book from Amazon there. Well, Dennis, I have one last question, and that is, it's actually a three-part question, but 
Share with us one of your most difficult setbacks in life. How did you come through that time and what was the primary lesson you learned from that? I would say I've had a very consistent theme with my investments. My first investment has always been really bad and wherever I went, that was new. So my first stock investment was a mutual fund and it did not do very well. My first individual stock picking when I moved on from mutual funds did not do very well. The first real estate property that I bought in my name did not do very well. The first syndication that I invested in did not do very well. And I kind of got to the mentality that I know if an asset class has potential and I'm 100% okay with failing at it the first time. Because what ended up happening is after my first mutual fund and after my first stock pick went poorly, I started getting really good at stock picking. And then after my stock picking days were over, I got really efficient at index funds. And after my first bad single family rental purchased in a low income area, I bought a great duplex in a, in a much better area and did really, really well. After my first poor syndication, did really, really well on the next you know, 10 or 12. So what I want to you know, get out to the message is that sometimes, especially in the private world or even in the traditional world, expect to fail the first time. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And if you fail the first time, just look back and say, where did I go wrong? You know, I, I, I remember I was investing in, in a stock and they had an accounting scandal. And I thought it was selling at such a huge discount. I was like, this is amazing. And then I remember losing 75% of my money on that thing. And I was like, wow, I will never, ever buy a stock that is going through an accounting scandal. That is a bad combination. So just the moral of the story is expect to fail, but then get right back up there if there's potential. Or if it's just a clear cut, this is just terrible and there's no future. And then move on to the next one. There's always something else. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I like that philosophy, kind of like there's no such thing as failure as long as you get back up. Another thing I, I think I take from your lesson there is that, you know, we all learn in different ways. And some of us, like myself included, are just hands on learners. But like you, I learn quickly from uh, those mistakes and I rarely ever repeat them again. Well, Dennis, it's been a delight having you, a very interesting conversation, and you are certainly laying an excellent example for all of those other young people out there. So thanks so much for being with us today. It was a pleasure being here. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steed Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steed Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steed Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at steedtalker.com.